Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is October the 1st, 2014. This is episode 1438 of the Survival Podcast. Boy, do we have a lot going on to talk about today. Just in the housekeeping, we have so much cool stuff. If you normally skip the housekeeping, do me a favor, do not skip it today. It will be worth your while. I will knock out the sponsorship first so that we can get that done and move on. But our sponsors are great, guys. The first one today, Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason. Hey, Berkey Water Filter Systems, best value on the market as far as I'm concerned. Most people acknowledge that. Most people know that. Most people would like to have a Berkey. Sooner or later, if you're a prepper and you're concerned with your health and the quality of your water, you're probably going to get a Berkey. When you do, don't go to the non-Berkey guy. Don't do the, go, go, go to the guy down the road you know, at the gun show that got into prepping yesterday that got a deal to resell Berkeys. Go to Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason, the original Berkey guy, the guy whose customer service is so fanatical I can't even put him on a discussion panel because he does customer service in the middle of a discussion panel. I am not making that up. I am telling you the truth. That is Jeff, the Berkey guy. He's got a lot of other really great stuff for your prepping needs at his website, directive21.com, including the survival cave line of long-term storage foods. He's an awesome dude. Check him out today, directive21.com, and remember... He does offer a discount for members of the Support Brigade. Next up today, Fortress Defense Consultants, the awesome Frank Sharp Jr. Hey, guys, he's got a great article out I put out on Facebook yesterday on backup, I mean secondary guns. Frank is a pro, man. If you want to get the best training you can so you can be the linchpin in that triangle of gun operator efficiency, remember what it is. The quality weapon and the quality ammo. you got to have those two things. A gun with no ammo, you got a club. Ammo with no gun, what you can do? Throw it. But in the end, it's the operator. That's that's the variable. You are the variable, and only training can fix it. Frank and his cadre are the best I know in the business. Check them out today at FortressDefense.com. Next up, hey, guys, consider joining the MSB. If you haven't done so, I've got a great reason for you today. I kind of leaked this last week real quick, but I'm formally announcing it today because now it's done. Iron Edison Batteries has joined the Member Support Brigade. These are nickel-iron batteries, iron-nickel batteries. And these are the, if you heard the, the, the feedback show with Stephen Harris last week, these are the, the M1 Abrams tank of batteries. This is for the really high-end, rugged, long-lasting off-grid system where you're making a major investment in the batteries. These are batteries that are $1,000 and up. I didn't get you a huge discount. I didn't get you any discount. Steve got you a discount. Steve, in his research, trying to find answers for a person that questions on these batteries, contacted Iron Edison, got some information from them, told them about the MSB, and negotiated us a 5% discount. I know 5% doesn't sound massive. When you're talking about a $1,000 battery and people building battery banks that are eight, nine, ten thousand dollars $10,000 for major off-grid solar applications, man, it adds up fast. It's years of MSB, all-in-one discount. It's not for every single member of this audience, but for those that want this, what a great deal. And remember, this is the time to join because you can even save more money. This is the last day of my fall sale on MSB, normally $50, bucks, now 30 for anybody that wants it. Discount code FALL14, fall F-A-L-L-1-4, no spaces, all lowercase, F-A-L-L-1-4. You can join by uh, check and money order uh, through the mail if you want to as well. Just write the, uh, the code on the form. So 
definitely consider joining the MSB. That's just another great addition. And hey, yesterday, I told you I got a bunch of stuff for you guys today. Yesterday, I did not do Bombwell's Plan of the Week because I got into a bunch of other things that sidetracked me. So I didn't have time to put it together and get on the show, so I'm going to do it today. And the Bob Wells Plant of the Week is where we were learning about a new plant every day from Bob Wells, who's also a discount uh, provider for the MSB, by the way. 10% off what you're going to hear about today and everything else Bob has for sale on his website. The Plant of the Week today is Chandler Strawberry. Chandler Strawberry is a highly adaptable strawberry that will grow well in zones 5 through 9. The Chandler Strawberry has a large, medium, red, glossy finish and is a, with a large conical to long wedge-shaped The fruit quality is excellent, and the Chandler Strawberry produces a high yield, which are excellent for coastal areas down to Zone 9, yet are cold-hardy enough to grow in Zone 5. If you live in a colder climate than Zone 5, uh, Bob even has some other varieties that are available. You can learn more about Chandler Strawberries at the Bob Wells website, bobwells.com, uh, and... Uh, I'm sorry, BobWellsNursery.com, and I have a link right to the Chandler Strawberry page on the show notes today. Just a quick addition in the world of strawberries, there's two kinds of strawberries. There's ever-bearing and june-bearing. June-bearing are your highest yielding, but they yield all about, you know, over a couple-week period, generally in June. That's why they call them june-bearing. There's a little variability. Is it June? Is it July? Is it May? It all depends on where you live, but they're one big yield a year. Chandler is a June-bearing. Ever-bearing spread their yield out over a longer period of time, but they generally just don't yield as high in total. So now you've learned a little something new with the plant of the week. Next up, I want to let you guys know I've been leaking that I have a new project coming out very, very soon. It's going to be awesome. Today's show sort of kind of has something to do with it, but not exactly, but yes, it does. If that enough double speak for you. What I want you to know is that I will be releasing a way for people to find out about about exactly what it is starting tomorrow. I won't be telling you everything, but I'll be giving you little insider leaks of information, including the name of it tomorrow. Uh, and those that join the early opt-in email before we actually bring it out in full, several days before, uh, we'll tell you kind of exactly what's going on. Another big announcement today. Um, we have been so busy that we were worried we weren't going to be able to do a TSP class event at the TSP Homestead this fall. We've decided we are doing it. Um, the dates of it are going to be November 6, 7, and 8, with students able to show up and set up camping sites on the 5th, and then everybody going home the Monday of the 9th. You can leave early Saturday if you want to. Most people stay over Saturday night because it's awesome. We'll be getting group rate uh, hotel information for those who want to stay in a hotel instead of camp. The weather should be good other than it will rain because I'm having classes, so it rains when I have classes. Unless Stephen Harris comes, because Stephen Harris apparently repels rain. Uh, we're going to limit the class to uh, 28 students. I'm bringing in some special people for this one. It will be the only one of the fall. Uh, as always, MSB members are going to get first chance to sign up for it. I expect, given it's the only one we're going to do here this year, it's going to sell out fast. It's going to be 500 bucks. If you want to fly into Texas, uh, the airport to look at to see if it's going to work for you before you decide if you want to sign up for this on Friday uh, is going to be Dallas-Fort Worth. It's going to be the best airport. It's about 35 to 40 minutes away from my home if traffic's not insane. Uh, Love Field works as well, but it's significantly less convenient to get to my place from. I don't give away my address until students have signed up and made a deposit, so you just have to trust me on the distance. It's not that bad. Um, just to give you some ideas of what I'm doing additional this time, this is going to be on food forest, design, and extending existing systems. 
It's also going to be on plant propagation, including things like grafting and, and doing misting systems for rooting cuttings by the hundred. We're actually going to set up a misting system. Nick Ferguson is going to be my co-instructor for this. We'll be leading the stuff on grafting and plant propagation as he gets his plant propagation course ready for Permaethos. It's kind of a coming out party for Nick. I will be doing most of the instruction on the food forestry, etc. I am also bringing in two, right now, so far, two members of the expert council. Gary Collins will be doing a one-hour mini-seminar on, on his stuff with nutrition. And John Pugliano will be talking to you about how to, how to invest your money, maybe even a little bit permaculture style. Uh, and John and, and Gary will be here for the entire event so that you can talk to them, ask them questions, and learn from them. I think that's an immense opportunity for two guys that really are what you would call servants on the expert council. Um, again, I have to limit this. I can only fit so many people here. Uh, we did 36 in the end students for the last one, and it was too many. It was just too many. I had a great time with everybody, but it made it hard to serve everybody. Uh, by bringing in extra people, staff, etc., I always add at least 10 to that headcount. I'm going to have some caretakers working with me during that time. There's four of them. Uh, they're going to have an RV parked here. Uh, so I, I, I have to limit it to 28 people. It's going to be a $100 deposit and then $400 due on the day you show up. Um, and I really prefer cash for that. Just saying. We're going to do the barter blanket, the whole nine yards, Uh, and again, this will be the only one we do this fall. Dorothy and I have talked about it as much as we love doing these. With all the peripheral things we have going on, it may be from now on we do one in the winter and one in the spring. I'm looking to do two this spring. I, I really am, but I'm com committing to one. So there may be only two a year from now on, spring and fall. Uh, and again, limited headcount, and that actually makes it more intimate, and I get to spend more time with you guys. And by having a co-instructor with Nick, um, that gives me time where he's teaching or when the other expert council members are teaching where I can take a break. And that way I can be more placid, cool, mellow jack when I talk to you guys about all the things you want to talk to me about. And now let us take a look at the year 1438. On TSP Wiki, because it is the year of the episode, near 1438, Alex Shrugged has the following for us. The Inca Empire begins. It is the early, in the early 1200s, a warlord conquered the, stri the tribes of the Cuzo Valley in present-day Peru and became the first Inca ruler. They have remained in the valley until now. Now the Incas are in a panic. It's 40,000 shock... Shankas have come to destroy them, but the prince of Pashidi has not panicked. He manages to beat back the attack and kill over 22,000 of the Shanka. The Incas have discovered they are strong. They will move out of the valley and become an empire in an amazingly short period of time. By 1450, construction of the mountain retreat of Machu Picchu will begin. My take by Alex Shrug that puts these together for us at TSP Wiki. The stories about the Incas seem more like legends. For example, the first Inca ruler was supposedly the son of the sun god. Nevertheless, the expansion of the Incan Empire was unexpectedly swift once they emerged from that valley. They developed a knowledge of irrigation, and that may have put them in a superior position compared to other tribes. But given how vicious and strong the Shanka tribe was, there must have been a more substantial reason for the Inca victories. My take by Jack Spierko, maybe there was some, uh, a bigger reason. Maybe because the Incas needed it more. Maybe because they wanted it more. Maybe because when they were attacked, they had no choice. But maybe maybe these uh, the Shanka guys weren't really as strong as we were told. It's possible. I don't know. I Alex is more of a historian than I am. But 
I would think that the people that would leave the greatest information about these would be the most organized and successful people that ever defeated them, the Incas. And when one defeats an enemy, one doesn't want to talk about how weak the enemy is. You would think they do. You know, prize fighters, I'll kill him, he's nothing compared to me, whatever. No. See, once the defeat is over, you actually want to build up your enemy to been almost insurmountable because it makes you look even stronger. Nobody says, hey, you know what I did? When I was a 220-pound, well-built man, I'm so tough, I went out and beat up a little schoolgirl in fourth grade, kicked her ass, man. She swung at me, I ducked, and I took her out. No one does that. Because, well, one, you'd go to prison where you belong, and, and two, no one would look at you and think you're strong for that. You always hear the guy talk about how the guy was bigger and stronger than him that he defeated. So that means he's really bigger and stronger than he appears. So it's just possible, and it may fit in with today's line of thinking, that that's the case. Anyway, that is the housekeeping for today. And what, pray tell, is the subject of today's show? I usually tell you, but I held out on you. And if you get this show by you know, Stitcher Radio or iTunes or whatever, didn't read the title, you may not even know yet. And you might think, why is he holding out? Because I wanted to hit you with something you maybe wouldn't expect me to say. Free your mind and the rest will follow. Yes, free your mind and the rest will follow. Did I just quote En Vogue? Yes, yes, I most certainly did quote En Vogue. And did I do that because it's time for a new segment on TSP called Jack Has Lost His Mind? No, no, I, I really haven't lost my mind. Um... I will say this to you. Uh, sometimes I podcast alone. Sometimes I have partners in my podcasting, Max and Charlie the dog. And apparently that didn't bother uh, uh, Charlie at all. But when I when I had to go through that In Vogue song to find that one line, uh, Max got up and left. So I guess he's not a fan. And, and really neither am I. I'm not a fan of In Vogue. And that song really doesn't exactly link into what I want to talk to you about today. But I do want to talk about freeing your mind. Because I don't believe you can be free without it. And I'm going to drop a lot on here if you're not particularly well-read and into pop culture, but I'll quote En Vogue here because in the words of Don Shimoda, uh, when quoting Snoopy the Dog in Richard Bach's book, Illusions, I will quote the truth wherever I find it. And, and that's how I feel about it. And since we're on the subject of truth, let me give you a truth, a, a full-on truth here. Every bit of my being, being as truthfully as I can with you, and that is that my love of liberty is so strong that I have literally dedicated my life to liberty. There is nothing I do that's not driven by the desire for freedom for myself and freedom for others. I teach everything that I teach. I talk about everything that I talk about. I expose you to topics and thoughts and things that are different from the norm, specifically for the purpose so that you can claim liberty in your own life. And I do not tell you how to apply what I give you, because that would be the opposite of liberty. And that's mostly what goes on today, is people tell you how to apply the information. It doesn't even matter many times. Is the information accurate? It's the application of the information. But at one time, in my quest for liberty, before I even really knew how to understand that that was my passion, that that was everything that I was about, that that was really what was most important to me, I believed in a political solution. I believed in it so much, I actually ran 
for office in the state of Texas. I ran for the Texas State House as a libertarian. I didn't even do that poorly with it. I actually did quite well in a very Republican-dominated district. And I was actually courted later by someone that told me I'm connected, and if you'd actually like to win instead of just make a point, if you want to run as a Republican, I can guarantee you that you can have a position at the Texas State House. It felt very dirty when that man said those words to me. It bugged me. It felt like icy fingers on my back. It started leading me to ask questions. And I started questioning the one thing I had always believed. If we could just get the right people, if we would inform enough people and educate the voters and we would put the right people into power, that we could change things for the better and bring greater liberty to society. And there were two horrible additional truths that I had to come to accept. And the first one was generally the people that are the right people to have in power have no desire to be in power. They don't want to control others. They have no desire to do so. And that that's what makes them qualified. And that was me. When I ran as a libertarian for the Texas State House, I did so because I never believed I would win. I didn't actually believe that I would I would do as well as I did. It was just to make a point. I didn't want the power. And the fact that somebody was telling me, hey, here's a path to the power, I can help you, felt very wrong. And I believe that the best people to have in government are people that don't want to be in government. They don't want the power. They don't want to control. They would exist in those positions solely for the preservation of liberty. So it's very difficult to get them to go into the dirty, disgusting world that politics is. Because it is the dirtiest, most disgusting world that there is. I felt that from one little attempt at running for state house in an area, in, a, in, a, in an office where I was never really a threat to the incumbent. But as soon as I pulled over 10%, uh, there were some slander campaigns, including reporting me to the Ethics Commission for not reporting my fundraising accurately when I did no fundraising. So there was nothing to report. I was actually fined for it, even though there was nothing to report because of the allegation. And I paid the fine because it was easier than trying to deal with it. And then I wrote an appeal and they dropped it to a hundred bucks. So I just paid it as a token. But then it could go down that this person has been cited and fined for an ethics violation. That's the world of politics. The people that are actually right for politics don't want anything to do with that. I know I don't. The second one is the few that are right for the job that are willing to do it can't compete with the system of predators, thieves, liars, and tyrants when they become part of it. If you really want to understand this, just go to a website called Defining the Machine and just learn the truth about the U.S. House of Representatives alone, party dues system. That a new congressman that's gone out and actually meant every word that he said and, and, and pushed out an incumbent in a primary and got elected and made commitments and made promises and stood up to his own party and gets all the way up there and his own party held it against him the entire time. The day he walks in the door, he's met by a senior member of Congress who says, Hi, welcome to Congress. If you'd like to get anything done, I can tell you how to do it. And he immediately hands the guy a bill or the lady a bill. And that bill is for several hundred thousand dollars and it's the party dues that they owe their party. doesn't matter if they're Republican or Democrat and they get a list. And they get a desk to go to and a phone. And they get to do a $9 an hour telemarketer's job. And they can't get shit done in Congress. They can't get on a committee. They can't sponsor a vote. They can't do anything until they raise enough funding to pay off the party dues debt. And then they're like, okay, well, now you can kind of sort of play around. But what do you want to do? And there's actually a price list. If you'd like to share a committee, there's a price list for that. 
It's published. It's above board. No one even thinks seems to think it's a problem. So how is a person going to be elected to Congress and go into that position and do jackedly crap to meet their commitments when it is required that they become on the hook to donors before they're even allowed to sit on a committee? And the answer is, it's not going to happen. And as I took all this in, and as I learned more and more about it over the years, and I became less and less enamored with the political process, and I realized that, you know, there are places where your vote might matter. They're probably at the local and at the highest level of the state. What you do at the federal level is not going to matter at all. And that it's more about voting to prevent things or voting to allow things than voting for candidate A or candidate B. Because in most elections, I would say 90% of elections across the nation, from dog catcher to president of the United States, the results are such that the individual's vote simply does not matter. You've been lied to in civics class. You've been told that's the case. I'm here to free your mind today. And, and to make you understand, that's not the case. Your vote doesn't count. Your vote doesn't matter. And if you don't show up, nothing's going to happen any different 90% or better of the time. What if everybody thought like that? Well, then maybe we would use the greatest weapon the American people have against government control. That would be apathy. But we're not ready for that yet because the mind is too controlled. So what we have to do is we have to actually examine the mind. We have to examine the way that we're controlled. The first thing we have to ask ourselves is we live in a nation where we are told we are the freest nation in the world. We're not just the freest nation in the world today. We are the freest nation that has ever existed in the history of civilization. That is what we are told. I think most people are beginning to question that. But questions are just the beginning, right? If you're not sincere with the question, it won't help you. But at least beginning to question that, but they still think, well, probably the freest out there. We have to start asking ourselves, if that's the case, if Americans, by and large, believe themselves to be free, why do they believe they're free in the first place? What makes Americans believe that they're free? If you pull the average American across the street and say, do you consider yourself free? Well, they'll say yes, and you ask them why. So I'm not in a cage. I pretty much come and go as I please and do what I want. I have the opportunity to succeed as a person. I have an opportunity to get an education I'm able to vote for my leaders if I choose to. No one really bothers me on a day-to-day -day basis. I have 150 or 250 or 350 channels on TV. I have Internet access. I, I have stuff. I have money. I'm free. And the people that say they're not free really are generally the people that are not being productive at all, and they still, in the end, will end up saying that they're free. That people equate a lack of confinement with freedom. Because people are focused in the world of freedom on the physical concept of freedom. And there's no doubt that's important. That you can't be free in a prison cell, but yet some are. Certainly not where I want to be. But freedom has been equated with physically being able to do what you want. With no questioning about are you actually doing what you want. Think about that. So I am free to do as I please, therefore I'm free. But if you're not actually acting in the way that you really want to, if you're actually being manipulated into your choices and decisions in life, 
and someone else is controlling you, then are you free just because you think you are? Hmm? Think about that a minute. There's a quote that comes to mind here. That quote originally comes from a guy named Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. And it is, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe that they are free. That's what I'm trying to tell you today, that the average American is actually highly controlled and therefore not free, and yet believes themselves to be free. See, the conspiracy crowd often postulates that when they look at everything I've talked about today, that the goal must be total physical slavery, and they start coming up with the idea they're going to have FEMA camps and lock us all up and, I don't know, make us grind gravel into concrete or some crazy shit. But when you focus on freedom, you see the horrible truth for what it is. There's no need to physically enslave a man if you already control his mind. And I believe that society today has what I call a giant master remote control box. And this is how it works. It really only has two buttons on it. One says A and one says B. And it is the manifestation of the ultimate dichotomy. right? The, the, the concept of two choices. And about 90% will respond to the remote control like clockwork argue with the other side, and yet still push for the same result or the same ultimate result. And if you control 90%, you can just let the other 10% be made out to be crazy. See, it's very, very simple. And this works through many ways. The A sometimes stands for Republican and the B for Democrat. The A sometimes stands for man and the B for woman. The A sometimes stands for black and the B for white. And whatever divide is necessary to gain the visceral reaction required to get society to move in the general direction that those in power want it to move, they just start mashing the two buttons. And society does exactly what they expect that it would do. You get into something like Ferguson, Missouri, and what do you get? You get mostly people from the white side of town saying that the guy probably deserved to get shot, and everybody from the black side of town saying it was just an innocent guy shot and murdered by a cop. No one really knows. They're just polarizing on those two positions. And then you get people in the conspiracy liberty community polarizing to the black viewpoint there that, hey, the cop probably murdered him because of the same perception bias. When the answer is, you don't know, What happened? Because the information necessary to make a clear, concise decision has yet to be released. And what makes the rational person at least suspect that something's fishy on the law enforcement side is they're the ones with the information. And they have yet to release it. So that means something stinks in Denmark, so to say. But you really don't know. But boy, you mash that A and B button, you can cause a riot in the streets. Right now, one of the biggest A and B dichotomies that are out there between liberals and conservatives or Republicans and Democrats or however you want to call them is the war on terror and the war specifically on ISIS and ISIL. But the reality is both sides, A and B, really want more safety and more security and that's the general direction that those in power want society to go so that they have greater control doesn't matter if you're 
you know, chanting one side or the other of the, 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 the dove or the hawk side of war, as long as you're okay with society moving toward greater security and greater oversight and greater, greater government control, that's fine. I don't care. Because the people with the remote control don't give a shit how many bombs they drop as long as the people buying the bombs pay the bill. They don't care. And as long as they can have greater control of you down the road, greater control of your educational system, greater access to your children at an earlier and earlier age, and can dictate to you what you should do, they don't give a shit which side of the street you march on. They do not care. Why would they? If you, if you don't free your mind of both everything and nothing, you're sunk in this day and age. Now, how can you free your mind of nothing? Free your mind of nothing. Nothing is complete, undirected apathy. You, you can't fall into that trap either. You have to be proactive. You have to work for your own liberty, your own freedom. And you have to be apathetic toward the things that do not impact you. You can't be apathetic toward the things that you do have influence over. You can't be apathetic over the things that you do have control over. And you can't be apathetic toward the things that do influence you. And those are actually three different things. So you can't go into a world of nothingness, but at the same time you must free your mind of everything first. And then once you push it out, then you can pick and choose the things that you choose to interact with or respond to. So when I said you can't go to nothing, I said there are things that you do have influence over, all right? There are things that you can impact, and there are things that do affect you. And they can overlap with each other, but they're actually different. And here's how. Those that you can impact, it means there's something you can do directly to change it. Okay? So if Something's going on, and it's at a small enough level that you as an individual can get involved and actually make a change. And these have been little victories like getting approval so people can have a freaking garden again in a freaking neighborhood, or a chicken, or anything else. That is something you actually have impact on. You can actually create the change. The things you can have influence on are things that are small enough that you can motivate enough people to support the right side of them to get things done at, let's say, a small government level or within an organization or a body. So not all, I mean, you have to realize that there's so many layers of government now that people don't even know what a government is anymore. Most churches have their own government. I'm just not talking about the, the macro government, let's say, of the Catholic Church or the Methodist Church, right? They have this overall hierarchy. I'm talking about down at the local level. A little individual church has its own little internal government going on. Every corporation with a board of directors has an internal government. And the things that you can influence are often of that type as well, where is this organization or is this group of people actually being a force for good or a force for benevolence? So those are things you influence. So it could be anything from a vote to just talking to other people. So those things you do have to pay attention to. And then there are the things that you don't actually have influence or control or impact on, but they do affect you. And you have to pay attention to those so that you can maneuver around them. 
So a zoning ordinance would be an example of something like this. It does matter that you want to do A, and A is not permitted in zone B. Therefore, you must find zone C. Or you must figure out a way to finagle the system to your advantage, turn the opponent's energy back onto themselves. But you can't directly make a change. There's a lot of things out there you're not going to change. You can believe it in your heart, your mind, and your soul, all that you want, but you're not going to make a change. And until you free your mind completely, you just say basically, none of this shit pertains to me at all for the next five minutes. It's all out of my brain. And now I'm going to look at what the hell I want in my life for me and my family And then I'm going to see, of all the shit that I just shoved out of my head, hasn't gone into complete nothingness yet, what actually impacts me, what I actually impact, what I can change, what I can't change, what I can influence, and what I have to finagle my way around. And then and only then can you begin to build a life based on liberty. And the funny thing about liberty is liberty is, in some ways, the most beautiful thing on earth, And in other ways, when you really understand it, liberty can be a heartless bitch. Because you have to accept something that most people do not want to accept. Liberty must exist for all, including those you vehemently disagree with or you won't have it either. Recently on Facebook, I was talking about liberty in some discussion, and someone said, what, should I back the, the liberties of Democrats and progressives, too, that want to destroy our country? My answer was, yeah, you should back their liberties. See, and that's the mindset. Well, our side is for good liberties, and their side is for bad liberties. Well, the problem is that both sides are not for liberty. Both sides are for infringing on the liberty of others in the name of their liberty. Liberty's a heartless bitch because it doesn't work that way. That would be nice and convenient if there was actually a right answer to every question that applied to everybody equally. Well, there isn't. And some people that have ideologies that dictate that have the hardest time with this. Many of them are highly religious individuals. God says what's right and wrong. I, you know what? I completely agree for you. If that's how you want to live your life, that's how your family wants to live your life, I don't care if you get a whole damn town and call it Religiousville, as long as there's no wall around it and everybody that lives there lives there by choice and you want to run it in completely in consort with your belief system as long as it does not infringe on life, liberty, and happiness of others. Don't care. Fine. Just don't expect me to join your town. Whether it's a virtual town or a real town, don't expect me to join it. You have no right whatsoever, even under the Constitutional Republic, let alone the nature of human existence, you have no right to assign your religious beliefs and your religious restrictions to me until such time as my actions influence you. And this is why liberty is a heartless bitch. Because that's what the human mind wishes to do. Well, you should be able to do this and this and this and this. But, well, you shouldn't be able to do that. That's wrong. The question then has to become, does it affect me? And does it create a victim who cannot choose to voluntarily not be part of it? And if the answer is, it doesn't affect you, and it doesn't have a victim, then if you really mean 
that you're for liberty and freedom, it's time for you to shut the hell up about restricting it. You can make every case in the world you want to as to why you shouldn't do it, to why it's a bad choice, to why it will lead to, to poor things in life, to why it's the mistake, to why your way is better. That's called the free market of ideas. And I, for instance, if we look at an issue like gay marriage, I don't care if a person goes on a full scale, I don't even care if it's a propaganda campaign to talk about why it's wrong, as long as you don't try to prevent it. Because it's not your business. It's not your business. It's not your business. And it's very difficult for people that have a vicious attachment to the fact that it's wrong to understand that because the mind is enslaved. And it's just one example of thousands of ways that the mind of the average American is enslaved because you have been sold a lie with that giant AB box that every issue has two sides and you must pick one. You must either be for this or against this. And if you're against this, we should restrict it, legislate it, regulate it, prevent it, on and on and on and on and on. Well, what if there was an option C? You don't have to give a shit. You could be neutral. You could be neutral. You can, it's not, it doesn't affect me. I don't care. It's not going to impact me at all. I have no right to interfere with somebody else. I think it's dumb. I think it's a poor choice. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to advocate that other people choose not to do it. But in the end, I don't have to be for or against it politically. I can just not give a shit. And you'll find that as soon as you do that, even this whole idea of making a huge, big, giant case against it, there's plenty in every issue, both sides have been argued ad nauseum, and there's plenty of information for the person that wishes to be informed to go out and collect for themselves and make a decision for themselves in their own lives and choose what to do personally in regard to that issue, and that's liberty. And that's why liberty is a heartless bitch until you get over that. And then liberty becomes a beautiful, wonderful woman. Because as soon as you do that, you go, holy crap, there's all this stuff in the world that I'm supposed to concern myself with that I don't have to anymore. And those of you that have gotten upset with me, that are of the Christian persuasion, be not in the world. Think about it. The reason people are so easy to control is they're so attached to beliefs that it's really, really important that they fill in the blank on fill in the blank issues. When 90% of them do not, are not, and will never affect you in any way, shape, or form other than if you choose to allow them to. And I will tell you this, if a man wishes to put chains on your arms and you're resisting those chains and it's, and it's, he's not putting chains on, a, on your arms because he's making a legitimate arrest on behalf of society because you murdered somebody. He actually wants to take you his prisoner and I see him trying to put those chains on your arm and I know you're resisting and you're not strong enough, I will step in and I will help you resist. But if I see you put your hands out and say, please put the chains on my arms, I'm not going to interfere. 
Not if I think you're of sound mind and you've chosen those chains, because you'll probably try to kill me if I do. This is where society is at today. When you try to free people's minds, they react with anger and violence. It might only be verbal, but it's anger and it's violence and it's very, very real. You have to ask yourself, why do people respond to the opening of a mind and the concept of true freedom and liberty with anger and violence? Why? And it's because true liberty and true freedom have a couple things going on that causes. The first one is that it's horrifying. It's horrifying to think that other people can just do what they want. <laughs> it, I know it sounds ridiculous, but here's how it works. We can learn a lot from animals. When I was raising my first batch of geese, I had these little puffballs, and I put them in a four-by-eight-foot uh, little chicken tractor for a few weeks. And they grow amazingly fast. So like four weeks into it, these things are like the size of a small duck already. And I'm like, this just isn't enough room for any of these guys anymore. So I put together four 16 by 16 hog panels with some chicken wire on them. And I make this big corral that we can move around. Put the geese in there until they're ready to go be around the chickens and have their own house and everything else. And let's, let's keep them you know, controlled and basically in a brooding situation for a little bit longer. And I reach in, I pick one of the geese up. They've never been free before, and they're not even going to freedom. They're going to lesser captivity, from 4 by 8 to 16 by 16. I put that first goose down in there, and he freaks the hell out. He starts running all over the place, screaming, shoving his head into the cage, cramming his neck through the wire. Like, I think he's going to hurt himself. So I grab another one, throw him in there. He panics. They're running around, running around, freaking out, freaking out. I put the next one in, and they start to calm. There's more of them. And they start to realize there are confines. They start chilling out. They start relaxing. Okay. By the time I get to the last goose, the first seven are all kind of like, this isn't so bad. This is a good cage. The government gave us a new house. It's all right. The last one's freaking out. When I stick them in there, all the other ones crowd around. I'm like, dude, chill. This is a good thing, man. Don't mess up the new government housing we have. A few weeks later, open it. And I don't chase them out. I let them out. And when they leave, they kind of leave a little bit, and they run back inside, and they go out a little further, and they come back in, and then pretty soon they're roaming the whole place. And they realize, hey, there's there, there's about two acres of chain-link fence around us. We still have a cage. It's okay. It's cool. Right? But it took them a while to even accept that. Liberty is terrifying to the captive. And even slightly greater liberty is often terrifying to the captive. So that's one major reason that people react to it with violence and anger. The next reason is that it requires that you actually acknowledge your captivity for you to be willing to look at freedom differently. You have to actually acknowledge that you are chained, that you are in prison, that you are controlled, and that's frightening too because... It means that at least on some levels you're responsible because, yes, you're in a cell, but the damn door's been unlocked the entire time, and you could have walked out of it any time that you wanted to. No one wants to hear this. No one wants to hear this. And the third is it requires the difficult decision to break with allegiances that are false. As soon as you open your mind 
to the fact that you don't get to tell other people how to live, you'll find out that a lot of causes and groups and people and things that were very important in your life no longer fit. And it's very, very uncomfortable. In other words, when you leave the cell, you got to take the handcuffs off and leave them behind. You don't get to take them with you. And these things are frightening to a people who have been enslaved over multiple generations. There's another thing going on in society, though, that causes people to be so easily manipulated, so easily led. That's something I just happened on recently when I realized one of the greatest things that's been stripped from the modern generation of millennials. When I did that show on uh, the lost generation, the millennial generation, I revealed something about myself as young little Jack. I'm talking seven, eight-year-old, cute little Jack that ran around with his grandmother and played games and drank Tang and wanted to be an astronaut and would sit in a lazy boy recliner and watch TV shows about space and rock back in it and imagine that I was on a spaceship headed toward the moon and even told my grandmother that one day I would bring her back moon rock earrings because such is the mind of a seven or an eight-year-old. And it was amazing. There were a dozen people from this audience that said, I shared that dream. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an astronaut. And when I did that show, I did, and I was, you know, I was so close to it. And it's amazing how you continue to educate yourself through your own teaching as soon as you become free. I, I realized something that is very painful. And that's another part of liberty. A lot of times when you start realizing how much liberty and independent thought and critical thinking has been lost, your heart aches. Your heart aches. And what I realized that was really a hard thing to accept is, What eight-year-old today grows up believing that they can become something as awesome as an astronaut? What heroes do they have? Athletes that beat their wives? What hope do they have? A good job with benefits? What vision do they have? Land of the free, home of the brave, and no future in spite of it. I believe that vision, hope, and real heroes have been systematically deconstructed by those in power because they cause people to want more and to claim more and to do more. And you just can't have that in a society when you want to control it. Because if they do it long enough, they start to look around and realize, as I strive, as I reach, as I try to do more, as I, as I begin to gain momentum, I feel this weight upon me and I look and I see these shackles and these chains attached to me. These are things preventing me from doing what I want to do. Oh, hell, guess what though? They're not locked. So I'm just not gonna, I'm just gonna ignore them. I'm gonna cast them off. A, B, A, B. Shit, he's not responding. A, B, A, B. He's got to respond to one. Push button C. We don't have a button C. Third party, waste your vote. Third party, waste your vote. We put a button C in. Third party, waste your vote. He's not responding. He's not listening. He doesn't care. He's not even voting for the third party. He's doing shit. He's, he's gone. Shit. Well, at least there's only a couple of them. What if there were a million people like that? What if there were so many people doing so many good things in the world that it didn't matter that you said they're not allowed to do half of the shit they're doing? There's just so much you can't do it. A, B, C. A, B, C. I, somebody get me another button for this thing. 
That's, that's what I want to see those in power doing. And guess what? It's a great idea. It's probably not going to happen soon. It has to start with this handful of rogue individuals that just say, screw it. We're doing what's right because it's right. And you have to have a vision for that. And if that vision is government losing control because too many people are doing so much good that they can't actually keep up with it, then that's the vision we'll have. And if the hope, if the hope is simply that enough people that really believe in an idea can make an idea into a reality, then we have to have hope in that. But there's no more astronauts. We have to get a ride with the Russians to get to the space station. To circle the earth when in 1969 man stepped foot on another planet. Because to, to me, I know the difference between moons and planets, but to me the moon is another planet. It's another world onto its own. 1969 we stepped onto another world and today we hitch a ride with outdated technology to circle our own. Where are the heroes to come from? Well now the heroes have to be the men that go and teach young boys to be real men. That's who they have to be. They have to be the people that go in green deserts. That's who they have to be. They have to be the people that say, I will not conform, I will innovate. That's who they have to be. We lived in a world where government actually created a few real heroes. And I think it scared them so they got out of that business. The heroes served the role that was necessary. And now we create false heroes. We call all teachers heroes. We call every soldier a hero. Instead of saying, this is what a heroic teacher does. We even had a glimpse of it for a while. Remember the movie Dangerous Minds? There was even a TV series based on it. And it was a teacher that didn't do what the state said. Where did that go? It's not expedient. It was good enough to create the belief teachers are heroes. Now we need to do away with this nonconformity thing and stick to real heroes conform. <laughs> right? And you can see it in the last 30 years. In every form of pop culture entertainment, it was used harnessed and discarded like a Kleenex. Do you remember the old TV show Good Times with J.J. Walker, right? Dynamite. You remember that? Do you remember the first season when the father, James, was still around and the family was on hard times living in the ghetto? And Florence said, we can apply for assistance. And James stood up and said, no, this family will get by. We do not need a handout. This is the 1970s, folks. It's not that long ago. Where's that? Where's that man today? The media would have you believe he's gone. He's, he's a deadbeat dad. He doesn't exist anymore. Bullshit. There are millions of black men being good fathers in this country that think just like that. They just don't want you to pay attention to them or look at them anymore, and they'd like it if they would all go away, please. Free your mind, the rest follows. The heroes of yesterday are still with us. We have just stopped paying attention to them. 
and might I say we've stopped striving to be them. For a man to do great things, for a woman to do great things, they do not have to rise to the level of their heroes. They only need to strive to achieve even part of what they have done. See, the beauty of heroes, not hero worship bullshit that we've been led to believe is what a hero is today. The, the, the beauty of true heroes is that people look at them and they say, If they can do that much, I can do some of that. That's why Jeff Lawton's one of my heroes. A man of dramatically different religious beliefs, by the way, than I will ever have. And a man that lives on the other side of the planet. A man who I've spoken to face-to-face just a few times and met one event, shook hands with a couple times. It's one of my heroes. Because when I saw greening the desert, I went, well, I can green North Texas. It's easy. We have 34 inches of rain. Shit, if you can do that, that's what heroes do. If that guy can get to the moon, I can learn to fly a plane. How many of our kids grow up wanting to be a pilot anymore? Think about it. It's been stripped from the American psyche. You're number one, but you can't do shit without us. That's the message. And yes, the people around you will respond to anything that messes that paradigm up for them with anger and with violence or with writing you off as being crazy. So what? What's amazing is when you start down this pathway of living your life your own way, believing in your own things, choosing your own heroes, picking where you engage with your energy, choosing your fights so that you can win, following the ancient wisdom of Sun Tzu and not fighting battles unless you know you can win them. When you start to do all this, everybody thinks you're nuts. Five years into it, they're going, well, how do you do this? Well, how do you do that? Well, I wish it was as easy as for me as it is for you. You've got it made. Ignoring the battle, ignoring the fight, ignoring the war that you fought to get what you have. They'll, but they'll come around. And why? Examples are powerful. Words can be powerful, but their power is limited in impact And it is certainly limited in time. I can give you a rousing speech that will make you stand up and chant and believe that you can be anything you want to be. But if you don't start taking action on it, the feeling will fade and fade and fade and fade. But when you see someone do it, it becomes concrete that it is possible. And if it is possible for them, then it is possible for me. And damn it, I shall have it. And you want to make the people in, in power have a cold chill go up their spines and shake them to their core? Get a society saying, I shall have what I dream of having. And I shall teach my children that it is their birthright as well. And we shall do this with or without them. That terrifies 
people that make their living going A, B, A, B, add the C button, C, 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 A, B, A, B, C, C, C. Because what's your play now? What's your play now? What do you do to control the man whose mind is free? If he's one, you can throw him in a prison cell somewhere. A funny thing happens, though. Generally, those guys turn into, like, cult-followed heroes and have greater control than they ever would have if you would have just left them alone. So screw it. It's easier. We've learned that's a mistake. Just leave them alone. But now there's more of them and more of them and more of them. And you know what, folks? That's why I have hope. Because there are more of us every single day. There's more of us every single day going, you know what? There's a lot of shit people do in the world that I don't approve of. It's not my problem until it affects me or my family or my community. So as long as people that are doing that are doing it by choice, not having it forced on them, I don't have to deal with it anymore. That one step, that one step is the first where you rip the blindfold off and the light hits you and it hurts your eyes. That's how powerful that one is. Because what you find is all of a sudden you have all this crap hurled at you, right? And you're like... Doesn't stick, doesn't stick, doesn't stick, doesn't... Oh, that stick, flick. And you have time to flick that one off because you're not over here fighting all the paper tigers and tilting at windmills. The average American spends the majority of their time tilting at windmills. I won't explain that one to you. You have to look it up if you don't know where it comes from. Free your mind by educating it, by challenging it. Are, are people well-read anymore? That doesn't mean you have to have read the same things I've done or the classics or whatever. But if you've read enough, you'll actually have exposure to many of the same things because authors draw from the same great pools of wisdom. And they use analogies and they quote each other. No, we're not well read anymore. We're well fed We're well fed with junk food and we're well fed with false information blended up inside of true information so that we will fear and cower and do what they want us to do and so that we'll polarize the latest polarization. Last night, I got several emails highly concerned about me because I'm in the Dallas area and there's a guy at a Dallas hospital who went to Liberia and has Ebola and Ebola has come to America. And now what? What are we going to do? And so we have two sides to this. We have a group of people that believe that, oh, see, it is coming. We're going to all have what When less than 1% of people in Liberia have contracted Ebola. We got a guy here in a non-tropical climate, by the way, which really isn't conducive toward the long-term sustainability of Ebola as a, as a, as a virus. It kind of needs that environment. That's only spread through the direct exchange of bodily fluids. One guy has it under quarantine, but they're going to be afraid of it anywhere. It's come here. I had emails from people that were telling me about relatives that were freaked out. At least they weren't freaked out, but the relatives, it's officially here. I mean, really, I'm using the old dun-dun-dun sound effect because that's how they're playing this out. Like these old, when you watch the old science fiction movies and you go, that's, how did anybody ever buy into this nonsense? I mean, it's a terrible disease. I don't want it, but I'm not going to sit around and worry about it. I answered every single email about it with the exact same statement. 
that was entirely true last night when I was answering emails about it. I am more concerned about the chicken cooking on my grill right now than I am about this. But then you have this whole other group of people. It's all a conspiracy, man. They already have a vir- uh, 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 what do you call it? vaccine for this, and they're going to have mandatory vaccines, and they're going to line us up and make us get this horrible vaccine that's designed to control our minds. They don't need a vaccine to control your minds because they already are controlling your minds with the A and the B button. See, as long as you're picking one side or the other with no independent critical thinking, either side of a visceral reaction is a means of control for those in control. There's already a vaccine. Is this true or false? Somewhat true. There are experimental vaccines for Ebola, and people like the Gates Foundation and the CDC have joint patents on them. Uh, They're not yet quite effective, and they are working on them, and it may be a good thing for some people, like, I don't know, people going to Liberia. Um, They also have a patent, by the way, on the virus itself. Yeah, the Gates Foundation holds a patent on the Ebola virus. You can see why the conspiracy people would tell you how, you know, dangerous this is. But if you think they're going to physically force you to take a vaccine, no, they're going to come out with this new vaccine that's largely unnecessary because they know plenty of people will take it and they'll make billions of dollars on it. And the people that defend vaccines will say it's such a small piece compared to the whole of pharmaceuticals. It's, you know, a couple percent of the total. It's not really about money. Hey, a billion dollars isn't chum change to anybody, not even Gates. That's a, that's a, that's a tilt at the wills argument right there. Tilt at the windmill argument right there. It's not that much money. Last time I checked, a billion dollars got just about anybody's attention. All right. So when you talk about a multi-billion dollar market, don't insult my intelligence. Don't insult my rooster's intelligence that you can hear in the background. Even my freaking rooster, who's going to be dead on Saturday, and you won't hear him anymore because he's becoming too much of a conflict rooster with the the old man of the flock. Um, Even he knows that a billion dollars buys a lot of chicken feed. So don't give me the thing that comes out of the other end of them in response to that. It's nonsense. But they're not going to force you to do anything. They don't have to. See, that's, that's, that's the big lie, that we need to force anybody into anything. You know, think about this. Everybody went in an uproar when Snowden came out with the NSA spying and collecting everybody's information, but very little behavior changed. People in the end sort of kind of just accepted it at large. People didn't believe the government when the government said, oh, we don't have anything to worry about. Oh, if you have nothing to hide, there's no reason to worry. People really didn't believe it. They just eventually said, eh, might as well just go on with my life. The government got what it wanted. Compliance. So why enslave a slave? See, when you actually enslave a person, a classical definition of slavery, I own you and you work for me, okay? And I take physical possession of you as property. Well, now you're my property, much as my rooster is my property. I have to feed him, I have to water him, and I have to provide him a place to live. That's expensive and it's kind of a pain in the ass. And, you know, you could say, well, the slave master never cared when the slave got sick. Well, that's not true. You know, they just shot him and threw him in a hole or something like that. I'm sure it happened on occasion. Occasionally, I have to call a rooster. And a person that's that sick, that they see a human being that way, yeah. But in the end, you can't just think that way because you could lose all your slaves. Right? So you have to see their medical care, too. You might not do a great job of it. You know, but uh, you know, if my if my animals get sick, I have to see to them. I know they're just animals, but I have to see them. That's how a slave owner is. 
or you have no slaves because they all die, right? Or they're too sick to work and you can't get anything out of them. So slavery is highly inefficient. It's expensive, it's laborious, and it's a pain in the ass. Because what have I always taught you about business? People will all be, always be your biggest problem. So as businesses have moved to independent contractors because it's less hassle and it's paid for performance and they're self-directed and wherever you can do it, it makes more sense. And in the end, even though you pay them more per unit of our work, they cost you less money and they cause less of a fixed expense and they give you more freedom and they give you a better return. The slave masters of the world have outsourced slavery to independent contractors where you willingly become a slave. You put your chains on and you do what they ask you to do and you think it's your own decision. You're an independently contracted slave. That's what the average American is today. It's just more efficient and more profitable to control a person's mind and let them use whatever they can gain as you control them to provide their own health, their own food, and their own shelter and attach their own chains in a manner of their choosing. You'll let the prisoner decorate the cell in a manner of his choosing so long as it doesn't give him a means of escape. But by the way, again, this prison cell door is open. The only way that you will ever have liberty in your life is to change liberty from the heartless bitch to the beautiful woman that she really is in your own mind. And you will have to let go of so much but you will gain so much more. It is impossible to be an advocate for liberty if you are a selective advocate for liberty. You can't choose which liberties are okay and which ones aren't. You, you sort of can't. Because there is a point where we can, almost every human being agrees that we can't allow to happen. And that is one person harming another, victimizing another coercing another. That's when there's a problem. Swing your fists all you want until it hits another man's nose. Okay, Again, I'll quote the truth wherever I find it. It was an old Supreme Court justice that said that when you can look up who that was. And when you quote that person, sometimes people point out that, well, the Nazis used examples of what he said when they were defending themselves. I don't care. The truth is the truth, no matter where it comes from. It's how we apply the truth that matters. And the exact quote, I believe, was, The right to swing my fist ends where another man's nose begins. And again, the, the problem for people, the lockup, the sticking point, is when I accept that that is true, I have to let you swing your fist your way right up until you hit me or someone else that's an unwilling victim in the nose. And I have to accept the fact that if somebody actually wants to let you hit them in the nose, and you've both chosen to do that, did I have to let that happen too? Scary. Frightening. Liberating. It's only scary for a minute. It's like when you were a little kid and you watched a show and you were convinced there was a monster under your bed, but when your dad came in and lifted the covers and said, see, there's no nothing there, fear went away. And you could sleep, hopefully, depending on how scary the movie was. Well, hopefully you've grown up now and you know that a movie is just a movie, and that's what you're seeing. There is a no better analogy for all the information that you're being fed is a movie. And the people playing the movie to you know that 
during the movie, some people will laugh and some people will cry, but they really don't care which one you are as long as you've bought a ticket and pay attention. Stop paying attention. The greatest weapon the American people have against those in power is apathy toward everything that does not affect them, but they are told is important. That is the greatest force for good in the world, is ignoring that which does not affect you and only focusing on what does. But it can't happen with a mind that's controlled with A, B, A, B, C, 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 C. Okay, got him back. A, 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 A. He's an A. A, A, A. Oh, he's thinking. C, waste your vote. C, waste your vote. C, waste your vote. C. Okay, A, A, A. Can't happen as long as the mind's there. You have to purge the mind of all and choose what to let back in. Understand that as a slave you have been well fed with junk food and information. Start choosing what goes into your mouth and what goes into your mind. That's a great way to start living that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares.